Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the danger of an uncommitted life. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. One of the sternest and scariest proclamations in the whole Bible. I will vomit you out. They were indifferent to the things of God and Christ. They did not claim Him and He did not claim them. They were fence straddlers, middle of the road people. The Bible says you know them by their fruit, right? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Space travel, supercomputers, a global economy. In a world of incredible knowledge and technological advances, is it possible to know the truth and still live a lie? And that's the subject Pastor Xavier confronts while examining the church at Laodicea as he continues his study of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Let's get started. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. And the message is entitled, The Apostate Church, Laodicea. The six churches have given to us a complete picture of the history of the church from 30 A.D. to the return of Christ, the last being Laodicea, the apostate church. Ephesus, the loss of our first love. Smyrna, fear of suffering. Pergamos, doctrinal compromise. Thyatara, moral compromise. Sardis, spiritual deadness. Philadelphia, want to hold on to the things lest they lose them. And Laodicea, lukewarmness. Boy, what a picture. What a warning to all of us. All represent types of a church that can exist today, as we've mentioned over and over and over again. The seven messages have the same reality to them. A real church in John's day, a period of church history, a type of congregation, and a type of Christian. Those four are straight across. The pattern you're familiar by now. You have the proclamation, the commendation, the condemnation, the exhortation, and the application. There's few exceptions. Sometimes there's no commendation. Sometimes there's no condemnation. But they all follow that pattern. So let me read our text, and we'll get into the historical information and background to the letter. Verse 14 Chapter 3 says, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, This thing says the eighth man, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me, go refine the fire, that you may be refined, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will commend him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant the sit. With me on my father's throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The historical information, the background, 
the cultural relativity to the church of Laodicea is important. The city was located about 45 miles southwest of Philadelphia and about 100 miles due east of Ephesus. The city was founded in 250 BC by Antiochus, a Syrian, who named it after his wife, Laodice. And it was one of the tri-cities, if you remember, as we started Colossae, of the region that you had um, Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea in the Tri-City Valley there. Uh, the great Roman road stretched to the inland of Asia from the coast of Ephesus, and it ran straight through the center, making Laodicea an important center uh, for trade and communication. The city was also very wealthy from its um, production of fine-quality black wool garments. In fact, they were famous as clothing merchants, particularly for their um, tunics called the Trimita. The city was also a great banking center, evident of the fact that Cicero had uh, cashed huge bank drafts in Laodicea. Uh, so wealthy was Laodicea that in A.D. 61, it was destroyed by an earthquake, and she refused any help from Rome, and she rebuilt it on her own. Self-sufficient. Need of nothing. The city had a famous school of medicine. Laodicea was known uh, especially for these two ointments. The one was called Phrygian powder, which cured uh, eye defects, as well as the ear ointment that allowed people to hear. Both were manufactured there. They were known for that. They were famous. And as we're going to see ironic, they were blind and deaf themselves. The church had a large Jewish population, for in 62 B.C., Flaccus, governor of the province, placed an embargo on the exports of Jewish currency of the temple tax for a total of 20 pounds of gold at a half a shekel per person. That would number about 7,500 male Jews. So it was a pretty good-sized Jewish community. Laodicea is the modern-day Eski Izar, the old fortress. How appropriate. Self-sufficient, old fortress. The church of Laodicea occupies the period of church history from 100 and, uh, 1950 to the coming of the Lord. Some take it 25 to 50 as we saw in Philadelphia. Some were there all the way forward. Now the name is from a compound word. Laos, the people, and Dekoa, which means to rule. The name means the people rule. The church was very wealthy, self-sufficient. And functioning without Christ by mere methodology and strategy, the church as well as the city stood for nothing but to cater to the wishes of the people, like many churches today. Laodicea, ironically, was the location where the council was held to establish the New Testament canon in 361 AD. Of all the churches, it's here. <laughs> so... It's not sufficient to have some good things going on. You've got to look at the content. What's the heartbeat of the church? What are they teaching? Who are they depending on? That's important. The religion of Laodicea was the worship of Esculapius once again, the uh, healing god, worship through the serpent as we've seen before, and also Zeus, the worship of Laodicea. So you have all this outward formality, you have all this paganism, and you have an appearance of being spiritual. That's the most dangerous. So this was a historical background to Laodicea. Now as we look at the message, it will make much more sense as did the others. The proclamation is found in verse 
14. The identity of the recipient, again, of the letter is to the angel of Laodiceans. Angelos, again, is the preacher, the elder, not the angels. Angels do not preach over pulpits, as we said over and over again. The name Laodicea, as we said, means the rule of the people. And that is why this is the letter that's addressed to the people in the proclamation. Mark it well. It is to the church of the Laodiceans, plural. This is the only message that's not addressed to the church. It's addressed to individuals. Interesting. The identity, again, of the writers of Jesus Christ. They're not the words of, of John. These things saith, it's the Lord, the chain of command in chapter 1. God the Father to the Son, the Son to his angel, his angel to John, John to us. It's with a promise. Chapter 1, verse 3. Those who read. The seven churches. Each particular to their message. All seven messages to each church. And so the identity is once again fitting regarding the church that he's addressing. First, our Lord identifies himself as the Amen. This is a title for Jesus Christ from chapter 1, verse 7. The word Amen in the Hebrew sense has the idea of acknowledging and guaranteeing the trustworthiness of what's being said and the confirmation. So are like, so be it. I second that emotion. That's what it means. And it's the same thing through the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. The New Testament, you hear the word verily, verily in the old King James. Truly, truly in the New King James. 152 times. Verily, verily, truly, truly, amen in the New Testament. God's word is always says, amen. That's true. Count on it. Pay attention to it. That's what it's saying. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Him. Notice, secondly, our Lord identifies himself as the faithful and true witness. Back to chapter 1, verse 5. He grabs it from there. The idea is that Jesus is the reliable, genuine witness to mankind during his ministry unto the Father. He was faithful in all things. In fact, Paul the Apostle tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 13, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Jesus Christ who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He didn't back off. Pilate said, are you then a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. John 18, 37. Blew him away. <laughs> what is truth? I am. <laughs> Our Lord identifies himself as the beginning of the creation. The word does mean that he is the source and origin and the very act of cause and the medium of creation according to Revelation 1.8. He's the one. He has always existed. And then in one time and within time, man's time domain, he became man. But he was always God. Philippians 2.5 says, being in the form of God. An antecedental condition. He was God before he came. He was God when he was here. And he's God when he left. Why? Because he's God. He can't be anything left but God. This is the proclamation to the Laodiceans. Now, the condemnation is given to us in verse 15 through 17. This church of Laodicea is so detestable and so reprehensible that the all-knowing God could not find anything to commend her. That is quite a statement. God who knows and sees all things could not find one good thing. That's an amazing statement by him. Verse 15, Jesus knew what they were doing and had done in the past. Nothing escapes him. 
And so Jesus knew their true spiritual condition, declaring his observation in verse 15 at the end and 16. They were neither coal regarding the relationship to Jesus. And the word coal means chilly coal. The church was indifferent and lifeless. It could not quench anybody's thirst. And some churches are like that. You walk in, you get entertained, you, 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 know, you, you feel good and all that, but there's no wheat. It's all shaft. You get entertained, but you don't get ministered unto. They were neither hot regarding the relationship to Jesus. The word hot is zestos. It means fervent or boiling. We get our word zest from it. The word is found only these three times in the New Testament, right here in verses 15 and 16, right here. They had no zeal or fervency for Christ. He could do nothing for them. When people are just, ah, comes he, comes out, whatever. Don't respond one way or the other. Dangerous. They were told by Jesus that he would rather that they were cold or hot. Notice that. The boiling, fervent temperature refers to the zealous, on-fire Christian who is in excellent condition spiritually, if you will, in Christ, in the kingdom. The chilly, cold temperature refers to the dead and indifferent of a person, the content condition spiritually regarding Christ and the kingdom. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, the kingdom, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just... Not into it, you know what I mean? The writer puts it this way. Quote, These churches are usually more interested in the social gospel than the gospel action, more interested in reformation than transformation, more interested in planning than praying. Right on. (laughs) They were told by Jesus that because they were lukewarm, notice a mixture of two, cold and hot, he would vomit them out of their mouths. One of the sternest and scariest proclamations in the whole Bible. I will vomit you out. The word lukewarm means tepid, nauseating. You ever drink something you expected it to be cold and you take it in your mouth? You spit it out automatically. The word is found only this time in the New Testament, nowhere else. They were indifferent to the things of God and Christ. They did not claim him and he did not claim them. They were fence straddlers, middle-of-the-road people. Mogwams, mug on one side, womp on the other. Now, you know that Paul speaks about three types of men. You have the um, natural man that's not born again. I would think we would be safe to say and classify him as cold, dead, and trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1. But there's also the spiritual man, he says, who is born again. And I think we would be safe to say that we could classify him as hot. Saved, regenerated, renewed by the Spirit of God. Titus 3, 5. But then he mentions a third individual, a carnal man, who's born again, but still ruled by his carnal nature by choice. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. I wonder if we could safely classify him as lukewarm. I would not want to exclude that. But I wouldn't want to live in a question mark either. I'm confident that we can classify the religious person, the nominal Christian, the one who plays church, and anyone who walks away from him as lukewarm. We could also put them and classify them under the tares, among the wheat. Peter puts it this way, 2 Peter 2.21. For it would have been better for them 
not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. The New Testament does not warn the non-believer about abiding. But the believer, the non-believer is dead. The believer is warned to abide. God does not tell the non-believer to abide. He tells the non-believer to repent. The believer is to abide, not to drift, not to be deceived, not to turn from God. The parable of the sower shows us that those who accept Christ bring forth fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold, Matthew 13. God has called us to bring forth fruit that it may remain, John 15, 16 says. But what's the principle in John 15? The branch abides to the vine. If it doesn't, it brings forth no fruit. You abide. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, Romans 8, 14. Rather than speculating who these people are, isn't it easier to just check out the fruit? The Bible says you know them by their fruit, right? So why do you want to mess with that? Does God speak to you? Does he lead you? Does he convict you? Do you get checks? Does he deal with your heart? Does he fill you with joy? Does he comfort you in anxiety? Then you're walking with him. If that's not happening, then there's red blinking lights. You need to do something about it. Maybe you're a Laodicean. Verse 17, Jesus knew their heart, or literally the heart of their problem. Here it is. Ready? Pride. Jesus tells them how they viewed themselves and that it was self-deception. They said, I am rich. They said, I have become wealthy. And that's their mark of spirituality, being self-deceived. They did not believe the fact that apart from Christ, they could do nothing. They didn't see the need. Listen, when you see yourself as the gospel says you are, you don't stroll down to an altar call and say, yeah, I'll accept Jesus. You crawl to the cross. And you say, Lord, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. Hmm, I don't see that in the church today. We're just nifty little Christians. We're hip. We're on the cutting edge. There's no contrition. There's no brokenness. You understand? Because we live in this Disneyland world of the United States. <laughs> Jesus tells them the real condition. They did not know that they were wretched, which means distressed. They were enduring toil and troubles, being afflicted in the spiritual arena and not even aware of it. They didn't, oh, we're fine. You're fine. I'm fine. No, we're not. The word appears only here and in Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. There's the word. Oh, wretched man that I am. This describes their condition from God's perfect Knowledge. They did not know they were miserable. That's the word. They were to be pitied. There is only one article for all five words. The four that follow actually describe the one condition, wretched. The word in this form is used again in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, 
We are of all men, moles, here it is, pitiable or to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. This describes their condition from God's compassion. They had all in this life and nothing in the next. How are you doing in that department? They did not know they were poor, spiritually speaking, ignoring the true riches, and this is emphatic there in the Greek. Many people have money, they have fame, they have a career, everything else, but they don't have anything regarding God. They're poor, and they don't know it. It's a sad condition. You should pity people like that. They didn't know they were blind, blind to the things of God, being ignorant about eternal destruction. Oh, you Christians, you're always talking about sin and damnation and hell and fire, and, you know, we're all going to go to the same place. Well, the majority of people are going to go to the same place, but I'm not going there. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. It's the straight and narrow way. You know, sometimes people are in a very dangerous situation and they don't know it. And they're not scared because they don't know it. But the minute they know it, they freak out. That's what the gospel does. Lost man is in perilous doom of destruction and he doesn't know it. And they hear the gospel and the gospel gets them, the spirit turns it on and they freak out. Good. What are you going to do about it? They did not know they were naked. Naked, standing before God, having no justification for their sin. If I don't have justification for my sin, then I have to give an account for my own sin before God. What a scary picture. You guys don't know all the stuff I've done before Christ. I do. I wouldn't want to stand before Christ. Not at all. Certainly these people include those who are not born again. Because the very first step necessary to receive Christ is to be poor in spirit, according to the Sermon on the Mount. To realize your own poverty to call upon the Lord. But it certainly does not exempt those who walk away from God either. Hebrews says, don't drift. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't go back to animal sacrifices. You're in the right place. Don't be deceived. You see, the Christian knows his own deficiency and bankruptcy in terms of deserving anything before God. So he is broken in spirit. He is poor in spirit. He recognizes his poverty, and he comes in brokenness. He comes emptying himself. These people were trusting in their riches. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. You have money? God bless you. Now ask God for wisdom. What do you do with it? Use it. Don't wear it. Don't flaunt it. Use it to the glory of God. Be a steward. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, not money itself, for which some have strayed from the faith, okay, in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6.10. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, not where your heart is. Where your treasure is, your heart's going to go there. What's your treasure? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Luke 16, 13. You've got to make a choice. 
the church of Laodicea and the Laodicean people will be left behind at the rapture. They will go through tribulation and great tribulation and very possibly will not have a chance to be saved according to Thessalonians. He gives them strong delusion that you should be deceived because they rejected the truth. Heavy, heavy verse. Hmm. This was a condemnation to Laodicea. Pastor Xavier Reese warns those who are lukewarm in their faith of the things to come. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study from the book of Revelation called The Apostate Church, Laodicea. As always, it's available for just $4 on CD. And don't forget to share this with those in your church or Bible study. You can contact us by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, how much does God love us? Find out next time and learn how God even searches out those who are lost when you join Pastor Xavier Reese as he brings us more simple truths from God's Word. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com